Hello there and a very warm welcome to episode 52 of the Frantic Football podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shalat and I'm delighted to say that I've been joined once again by Alex Barker. How are you Alex? I'm very good man. It's been a while, had a bit of time off away from football, but I'm back into things. Uh, I've been wanting to get back on this podcast. So I'm very happy to be here and hear about all the games that I've not been watching from you. Oh well, honestly, I haven't watched a lot of them either. But I have. You're not meant to say that. <laughs> but I have been keeping an eye on the results, certainly, and yeah, I have watched a few. Um, so we'll be talking through those, and of course, after that, we will be talking through a lot of transfers, uh, because it's been very busy over the last well, almost a couple of weeks since since you guys were last on, and indeed over this last week as well. So we have loads of transfers, but first, a few games to discuss. So let's get started with those. Right, we did have a couple of finals uh, and tournaments uh, this week. So as always, we will start with those. The well, the latest one just ended about an hour before we hit record. Before we hit record here, and that was the SAF Championship, the South Asian uh, cha- football championship, where uh, India, the hosts, faced Kuwait in the final uh, in Bangalore. That's where the tournament was being held in front of. A sold-out crowd of over twenty-six thousand, which was lovely to see, and after a, a pretty good match, a, a hard-fought game, as was the one-one draw in the group stage. Uh, it was one-one draw once again at the end of normal time. We went on to extra time without any goals, so it was down to penalties again. Of course, India advancing to the final on penalties uh, by beating Lebanon and Kuwait beating Bangladesh in extra time. So we went off to penalties, and India triumphed there. I think it was four three in the end uh, of of a pretty tense shootout. And I have to say, the post obviously India have won a fair few SAF championships in the past. So that's not the biggest of deals, uh, but I have to say the, the post match scenes were absolutely absolutely lovely. It was great to see the support from all the fans. Of course, this result is quite important. In the context of the World Cup qualifiers, because this ensures that India get a pot two spot in uh, the the upcoming group stages. So in theory, you'd expect them to advance at least past this stage of the qualifiers. Um, of course, it remains to be seen what they actually manage, but it's it it's positive signs. Um, I am somehow op- slightly optimistic, which I shouldn't be, but. I today I am a bit optimistic about Indian football, so here we are. Is and... this tournament like the the South Asian version of the Euros? Yeah, but yes, yeah, so, I mean we have the Asia Cup, which is coming up uh in the summer uh, in January of twenty twenty four. But we also have regional tournaments like we had the Arab Cup recently. Uh, well, before the World Cup, we had. The Southeast Asian uh, Mitsubishi Electric Cup, what they call it. So ba- we basically have these regional cups in Asia as well, uh, and so this is basically the South Asian version of it. But we had two invitational teams this time: uh, Kuwait 
and Lebanon. And India, of course, defeated both uh, in the knockouts. So, okay. yeah, it was, I mean, obviously, as you'd expect, India tend to dominate um, in the region. Uh, so, the the two inv- invited teams were the biggest opponents, so to say. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, two draws, but two wins on penalties. And most importantly, uh, that pot two spot for the World Cup qualifiers. It doesn't really mean much. I mean, probably still not going to qualify. But like before we had a 0% chance, now we have like a 0.1% chance. A so, man can dream. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, was ta- I was talking to some of my friends after this game and I said, you know, after this, I genuinely am starting to believe that India might actually make it to a World Cup in our lifetimes, like both with the men's and women's teams. Maybe a bit what optimistic. But, you think the 2002 World Cup, I think the teams in that were North Korea and China. I think it was those two. Like, yes. if those two can make it at the points they were in their lifetimes, like <laughs> India, India really doesn't have an excuse. Yeah, like, you can't oh, play cricket don't. forever. <laughs> oh, no, yeah we, we, yeah, we don't have excuses for sure. So, yeah, I, I hope to see that day. But, well, we'll see. Anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, the, one of the Asia Cups, the Under-17 Asia Cup, though, uh, which also drew to a close in the week. Um, and here, it was Japan who won the final against uh, South Korea. This was held in Thailand, uh, 16 teams playing, obviously, group stages uh, and then the knockouts. Uh, Japan, you have to say, were the best team in the tournament. Uh, they, of course, recently won, I think, the last edition probably 2018 so they were the defending champions and um, I mean yeah th- th- there was some I guess a little bit of controversy in terms of refereeing decisions in the final uh, but honestly it didn't really matter because Japan won 3-0 in the end and as I said they were the best team in the tournament best team in the match um, so and absolutely deserved winners so uh, well done to them and of course, uh, we also have to mention finalists South Korea and semi-finalists Uzbekistan and Iran also impressing, especially Uzbekistan, who are really progressing uh, across all levels, both with their senior team, of course, their under-20s at the World Cup recently in Argentina, and now their under-17s making the Asia Cup final. So uh, impressive stuff uh, for Uzbekistan across all age levels. That's uh, encouraging to see. That's that about it for the Asia Cup. What else do we have? We, of course, had the Liga MX season get underway in Mexico. Um, some very good football to wake up to if you live, well, eastwards enough. Or, of course, uh, to, to watch before sleeping uh, if you're on the west side. Of course, we have a long season to go. Uh, and, you know, it's very difficult to predict stuff because it all ends in playoffs anyway. But it's it's good fun to watch before the European season gets underway. Uh, if that catches your fancy. Uh, we also had the UEFA Champions League preliminary qualifying final where Icelandic side uh, Breda Blik, if I'm saying that remotely correctly, uh, advanced quite co- comfortably and quite impressively. Um, they clearly look the best of the four sides here. They they put seven past uh, Trepene uh, Galatsano, who were their first round opponents, and now they put five past uh, Budnost uh, Podgorica. So, absolutely dominant here. Of course, uh, when the, you get to the qualifiers proper, things get much tougher. But maybe they might be able to drop into the uh, Europa Conference League if they get a good result or two. 
And the way they've been playing, you wouldn't entirely put it past them. Of course, they also have the advantage uh, of being mid-season, whereas many of the teams they will face will obviously be coming back from summer breaks. So that might be worth something as well. So that's the story to follow. Obviously, we will keep you posted on that. Right, let's head over quickly to Scandinavia. Um, we I have a couple of things to point out. Uh, the first is from Sweden, where we've had a sacking. Andres Brenström sacked uh, as manager of OIK despite uh, getting their first win in nine games. Obviously, you'd presume that this decision had been made before the game. I mean, they've had a terrible season so far, terrible run of form. They're even, despite that win, they're in the relegation zone all the way down in 14th. And obviously, that's nowhere near where they want to be. They were close to the title race last season, ended up finishing fifth runners-up the season before. So very much a club that competes at the top. Uh, so seeing them all the way down here is quite surprising. And well, therefore, it's not much of a surprise that uh, Brandstrom has been sacked. Uh, we'll, of course, see who comes in next. Uh, but, but to mention a more positive story uh, in Scandinavia, I have to highlight Tromso, who are having a set absolutely sensational season so far. They're all the way up in second in Norway, just six points behind leaders Bodo Glimt, uh, and with a game in hand too, so effectively only three points behind them. Uh, and I think the, if you look at the, the most recent run of league games, they've about five w- uh, wins uh, uh, in, a, in a row, and they've only lost twice in 12 games all season. So, they're doing very, very impressively. Of course, they were, I think, about mid-table last season. And they were down in the second tier as recently as 2020. So, this is quite an impressive uh, fight back from them. Uh, and, I mean, obviously, you you have to back Porto Glimt in terms of a title race. I don't think there will be much of one. But it's really impressive to see Thrums up in second. Of course, uh, benefiting from Mölde having a pretty poor campaign. But if they can hold on to second or maybe even drop to third and get a European spot, that would be very, very impressive indeed. So that's something to watch out for in the in Elite Serien in Norway. Right, uh, let's quickly head over to Japan, where I suppose the big story of the weekend was Andres Iniesta's final match uh, at Vissel Kobe. Uh, He's first... still playing? <laughs> well, I mean, they had the whole friendly, don't you remember, with Barcelona? Like Barcelona's, no. so Barcelona's La Liga season ended, and as a normal football club would do, the very next day they boarded flights to Japan to play a friendly with Vissel Kobe. <laughs> so no there, like depressing pictures of Pedri and Gavi. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those guys! Uh, what can I even say? They haven't had a vacation for like three years or something right now. But yeah, so they they played that friendly with uh, Vissel Kobe. That was sort of like an Iniesta like testimonial or whatever but weirdly he still played this game I mean this was his actual farewell game which is obviously a league game and stuff and he got his first start in forever and it didn't end well because they only managed a 1-1 draw uh, with uh, Hokkaido Consadole Sapporo and that too thanks to a fairly late equalizer so I mean yeah I'm not sure if he's officially retired but I think Anyone watching him recently will tell you that uh, it has got up to him. A I, quarter of the appearances in his senior career have been made for Vissel Kobe. Yeah, he's, he's uh, been no, that's a... not 
Wait, no, that's not correct. So a fifth have been. He's made 140 appearances for them and 440 for Barcelona. That is far less time at Barcelona and far more time in Japan than I realised. Yeah, he's been there for a while, like five odd years now, I'd say. So, yeah, it's 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 been a long time. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine he'll probably retire after this. That's my guess. But, but I, I suppose we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But anyway, uh, this obviously is an excuse for me to talk about Vissel Kobe. So uh, let me tell you that this is not a very good result for them because they would want to be in the title race. uh, And by dropping points here, they have missed out on a chance to be level with league leaders. So at the moment, they're five points behind leaders, Yokohama uh, Yokohama F. Marinos. Of course, they have a game in hand. So had they won, they would still be on pace with them. uh, But that is no longer the case. So um, they've dropped back a bit, but we have... Uh, an exciting tile race uh, on our hands in the J-League if the Marinos don't run away with it. So if they continue to drop points here and there, we've got Vissel Kobe behind them, Nagoya Grampus are there, uh, Urawa Red Diamonds, Asian Champions also uh, just behind them. We could be in for something quite interesting uh, 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 if, as I say, uh, the Marinos don't pull away and put together a run of like 10 wins or something. So that is that from Japan. Uh, let's let's quickly talk about the CONCACAF Gold Cup because we have had some groups uh, draw to a close and some s- will do soon. From Group A, as you'd expect, it was uh, the USA and Jamaica going through unbeaten. St. Kitts and Nevis uh, making their tournament debut, uh, failing to score or uh, obviously get a point either. But, I mean, great that they're there. A big drama in Group B, though, where uh, Mexico went through alongside Qatar, who had a really poor start. Of course, invited once again, uh, as they were in 2021, lost their opener to uh, Haiti, which was quite a disappointing result. Uh, only managed a draw with Honduras, but against uh, a slightly rotated Mexico side, uh, came away with a crucial 1-0 win, uh, while Honduras and Haiti basically tripped over each other. Uh, so it's they who joined Mexico in the knockouts. Uh, and turn around what was looking like a very, very disappointing start to Carlos Queiroz's tenure, but turn that to a CONCACAF Gold Cup knockout run. So, not too bad after all. And Group C and D, uh, we will find out about uh, the remaining quarterfinalists, uh, well, tonight, effectively, uh, in, in America. Uh, big stories to watch out for are Martinique in Group C, uh, looking to hold on uh, to their second spot ahead of Costa Rica. So a draw would be enough for them as long as uh, El Salvador don't uh, beat Panama. And in Group D uh, is the huge story, really. Uh, tournament debutants, uh, Guadeloupe, obviously a French territory, not even a FIFA-recognized nation, are currently leading and only need a draw to make it to the knockouts. That would be massive if that happens. That would be quite a shock. So, that is something to watch, as is the fact that Canada are currently missing out uh, and would need to beat Cuba um, and hope for a favor. Uh, well, uh, well, the other two teams are playing each other, to be fair. So, uh, they would need to beat Cuba, that's all, uh, to make it to the knockouts. But, well, I mean, missing out would be quite something uh, in, in the Gold Cup for them. So, those are the things Canada to watch. quickly becoming the, uh, the Turkey of North America. But the team that everyone always says will do really well and have these great talented players in there just don't do anything. Oh, interesting comparison, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I can see it. Um, 
I mean, I'm mainly speaking for you telling me about the Gold Cup and then being quite bad in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, that the World Cup is the main thing. Like they were, I mean, it was their first one in a while, but people expected them to do a little bit better than they did. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they go. Uh, what what do we have next? We have, oh well, yeah, nothing for them. So yeah, this is this is what they've got. So we'll see how they go tonight, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this transition is always new. <laughs> Uh well let's let's move on then let's go to the under twenty one euros which I believe you were tuning into at least one game for um what was that how did that happen how is that possible why were you watching international <laughs> football ah <laughs> uh, I'm te- I'm tempted to bring your transition by saying what are you talking about but I did tweet <laughs> about watching it uh yes yeah, yeah I don't know tell you what I came from a ho- for came home from a holiday uh, down south. Uh, by down south, uh, I mean in the UK, in Brighton, and I live in London. I came <laughs> yeah. back up and I was like, no, I'm ready, ready to go. Really ready to go on some football projects. Get back into it. I'm craving a game. And uh, saw this was on. I thought France got a really fun under 21s. Let's watch him smash Ukraine. And I came away being more impressed by Ukraine's under 21s. Thought Mudrik looked really sharp. Uh, I know pre tournament he said he wanted to do this, but to kind of show Pochettino he means business and show what a professional he is. I think he's I think he's made a really good decision playing this tournament. Like he's clearly got his confidence back. He's such a frightening player to defend against. And uh Sudakov, um Neil, why don't you introduce that that guy and we'll see if we've <laughs> both found the interesting background information on him. Oh well I haven't done any research I'm afraid. So no, that's uh, perfect. I, I I can only tell you that he plays for Shakhtar Donetsk. Um and he had a pretty decent league season from what I remember. Uh, in 22-23. Certainly double digits uh, in terms of goals and assists, I would wager. So what is the yes. interesting background information that you have? Well, he he had a very good game. Um, He scored, I think it was Ukraine's... He scored the penalty, and I think he scored Ukraine's first off a Mudrik ball in behind. It was a great first touch. I had a Google on him because I thought, you know what, this guy's... Yeah, it might make an interesting video in future. I think he really is... This is definitely a guy to watch out for. He's not just come out of nowhere. There was a story um from... Uh, May or March or May 2022. So obviously just after Russia invaded Ukraine. And it was the Shakhtar manager coming out and saying that this guy, he should be playing in Europe's top five leagues, but he was hiding in a Ukrainian bunker uh, away from the Russians. So he's clearly had a very rough year. So I think a lot more has gone into his goals in these these Euros. He's got three so far. I think a lot more has gone into these goals than maybe we've all realised. So he's definitely one to watch um, as a story and as a player. Yep, certainly. I, I didn't know that, but yeah, that's co- co- I mean, quite something. So, absolutely. See, one minute I'm it. getting the Belgian league rankings wrong, the next minute I'm actually <laughs> being a decent content creator. <laughs> Average day in the life of Alex. Eh? Well, <laughs> I, th- I think that's, well, I mean, I should mention the other results probably in the end, 20 on Euros as well. Um, We do have the semi-finals coming up uh, and they will include Israel against England, uh, those two progressing, uh, Israel against Georgia, the I mean, the co-hosts, uh, they beat them on penalties against a tournament record attendance uh, and England didn't have a uh, too bad a time against, uh, who was it, Portugal. They beat them 1-0 uh, in, in the other quarterfinal in, in that sort of, I mean, that sort of bracket. And Ooh. on the other side of the in Romania, basically, 
we had Spain and of course France versus Ukraine, which you mentioned, uh, and and the other one. So Spain beats Switzerland. So we'll have Spain Ukraine in one semi final, Israel England in the other. Uh, that's later this week, and then we'll have the final to see who wins uh, the twenty twenty three under twenty one Euros. But I think that's about it for the football we had this week. Now let us go on and tackle this vast list of transfers. Let us begin with Nicholas Jackson to Chelsea. What can you tell us about that, Alex? I'm sensing we're going to play a, like a game of let's throw all the moves at. Yeah. For listeners, we've got a big list there, and yeah. I seem to was going to throw all of these at me. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to try and go on my go on my phone and look at their sofa score as little as possible uh, because I've got an ego. Yeah, Nicola, and I was stalling very well there, wasn't I? Nicholas Jackson to Chelsea. <laughs> well tell you what, this is a move that I, I don't think anyone knows when it was completed. We all, I think we all now know it was. Like, it's just on the cusp for about two weeks. Uh, he'd be an interesting player because he's, uh, when you think of him, um, if you're a vaguely legal watcher like myself, you think of him as a kind of a Nico Williams, more like a, a nippier winger, but he's quite tall. He's very happy to play with his back to goal. He likes to dip off the defender and create space in behind to race into. Physically, he's all there, and he seems to be really calm in the box. I can't remember how many goals he got last season. I think it was like around seven to ten. It was a, a decent year for him. Um, I, I don't think he's ready though to play as Chelsea's like starting number nine. Like he's still, I'd say, a, a, a bit raw, and they probably need someone else to play up there, whoever that may end up being. But definitely a good move for the future for Chelsea, as they seem to keep doing, which is interesting because I was reading a piece the other day on The Athletic. Um, I've heard they've been putting out some good work recently. And Ooh, Nicholas Jackson, it. yeah, and Nicholas Jackson has, Chelsea, sorry, have got this big plan uh, until 2030 to get 25% of their squad as like academy graduates. Uh, and it's just, they keep signing these players who are like 22 yeah. years old or, or younger. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't see how that's, how that's gonna work. I mean, not just these players. I mean, they're signing everyone, like every talented youngster you see, like whether it's like fifteen-year-old South Americans, like Henry Pires, and they're being linked to all sorts of people. Like... They've been linked to Ryan Cherky, which would be a crime against humanity. Like... Yeah, Adama Bojang from the Gambia from the Under World Cup. So I mean, it's not looking good for academy graduates, certainly. <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting one. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Uh, Dominic Schoboslai to Liverpool. That's an exciting one. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, he looks like he's going to play, what, in the box midfield? I think he, he, I haven't watched it, but I've seen a lot about his um, interview just being carnage uh, for Liverpool. Uh, maybe you can feel this is in about that if you've watched it. But I haven't either, I'm afraid. Oh, fair enough. Then, well, the listeners can go find it themselves. They're lazy bungers. So, uh, <laughs> Boslilo. So, I've been hyping up this season because he's second in the Leipzig squad for goals and assists in the Bundesliga. He's always had this reputation of kind of this like real luxury player who will, you know, once every 10 games, he'll pile in a shot from miles out and the rest of the time you won't see him. But he's definitely become more of a consistent player. I think Liverpool have got in at the perfect time. I reckon another year, especially if Nkunku gone, he would have been like, 100 mil um so i i think liverpool have actually nipped in here really nicely uh i like this move a lot right i mean it, it, it'll be fun to see him hitting balls from range in the premier league uh is, is all i can say but i mean i probably won't be watching too much liverpool but we'll see i might tune in just for him 
anyway, let's let's go on. Uh, let's I'll quickly mention Alessia Russo to Arsenal finally happening. And this was one which was well very much in the news. Uh, in the January window, they put in a world record bid for her, even though her contract was running up this summer. So obviously now they've got her for free. So it's not the best of situations for Manchester United, but a a brilliant, brilliant signing for Arsenal, of course, who clearly mean business, um, and well should be looking forward to uh, an exciting campaign in the WSL coming up. But of course, before that, we have got the World Cup and Russo will, of course, be traveling uh, there to Australia and New Zealand uh, with England. So that'll be, uh, so we look forward to that, of course. Then let's move on to, let's go to Milan uh, with, should, should we start with the departure first or the arrival first? Let's... Um, um uh, It's up to you, flip a coin. All right, well, I'll put it, I'll keep it as it is. Let's start with the arrival. Ruben Loftus-Cheek to Milan. Thoughts? It's fine. Um, I think Milan are very happy with the money they're getting for the other player we'll mention in a second. Um, Might as well mention it now. No, Loftus-Cheek, it's annoying because he's one of the most aesthetically pleasing footballers to watch. He's very much like Andre Gomez. And that I know he's got a bit of a bad rep, but he's been awesome at Lille in the last year. Yes. Like they're both really good ball carriers. They just and like Loftus Cheek, I think, is a bit more of a volume carrier. Like he will consistently carry the ball towards goal when he's on the ball. I think it's like he's number one aim. Um it's just his passing's not super progressive. Defensively, he played as a partner to Enzo Fernandez last season. And he's, you know passable maybe but it's not the got the greatest uh, the the interesting thing here i think for milan specifically is that their left half space is typically filled with teo hernandez carrying the ball forward um that like he's their main progressive ball carrier i'd be interested to see how him and ruben loftusik overlap here because they feel like players you'd get in each other's way and trying to do the same thing so that's going to be an interesting one to work out i, mean, I think it might work honestly because loftusik uh, is tended to be on the right, right? I mean, he's even had those stints at right wing back. Yeah, uh, true. So I, I think in that sense, you know, it probably helps them sort of balance things out a bit more in in that, you know, I mean, they have tended to be very left uh, dominant with obviously Hernandez and Leao. Um, and sometimes their yeah. right side has just been there. So you'd hope that, I mean, Loftus-Cheek helps out a bit. Hopefully they get a good right winger. Um, and then, you know, sort of, Makes things more even. In my head, he's left footed, but is he right footed? I mean, he definitely plays towards the right. And given the fact that he plays right wing back, I would I imagine think... he is right footed. But I will quickly look that up for you. Uh, so I'm, I'm way ahead of you. I've given it in. I've got sofa score he, up. He, oh, he is right footed. I kind of, yeah. yeah, retract my statement a bit then. I, I've always thought of him playing on the left. Um, yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, should I mean, be should work pretty nicely. Not like you watch the Premier League, so what do you know? <laughs> right, but the, yeah. you should then know about Sandro Tonali. Let's tell us about him. Um, yes, Sandro Tonali. I've got a bit of flack for this from Newcastle fans are on the warpath. I've said, I don't know if you I don't know if you see my tweet now, I don't know if you agree with this. If Sandro Tonali is 70 million euros. Uh, which I believe the package is, at least it is according to Transmart. Lucas Paqueta is a hundred million, and like Bruno Gimaraes is like well over a hundred mil. Thoughts on that first? 
in this economy i have ceased to comment on money but yeah man 70 million is a lot of money and isan rutana is decent but he is not 70 million but, and i think it's important to explain yeah. why we're saying that because we don't want to fall into the camp of i've seen a lot of people going back and forth on this like sort of civil war within the football the fanalytics and the fanalysis community like so amir and uh Araman is going back and forth to be of good respect for and um i think on one side of the argument is that amir is presenting is that you know tanali does provide some he's a very hungry boxer box midfielder and a lot of his attributes that are strong out of possession a very good presser a decent set piece taker or a good set piece taker even um you know they're going under the radar and aaron's argument is that like he he's just a bit of a road runner like he's not the andre pillar a lot of people think he is he's like he's not he's andre pillar getting, <laughs> he, really his really are getting a bit overhyped and i would say that like i think i think there's a substance in both sides but my overall perspective is i think he has got really good qualities it's just those qualities aren't worth 70 million and exactly like he could be the best presser in the world that is a more teachable trait than like a world class midfielder like if you put him and luka modric in a room or what's a better example if you put him and paul pogba in a room right they're basically the opposite players you know tonali provides all that off the ball running that pogba's legs can't give him anymore like he will hunt defensive work Obviously, they're not the same type of midfielder anyway. You get the point I'm making. Yeah. Right? Pogba's natural ability is harder to find, harder to scout, and harder to, harder to craft than the abilities that Tenali has. And that's why a lot of people pushing back on this move saying it's not worth 70 million. It's because we're not saying he's not good. It's that his qualities are more teachable. Like he's been dressed up as all JJ Bill and Tifo saying, like, he is the ultra version of Sean Longstaff. <laughs> like, and that is a compliment. Yeah, it's just that Sean one. Long. There, there are a lot more Sean, Sean Longstaffs than I don't know Hatton Ben Arthur's or like uh, yeah. rare talented players. I think everyone kind of gets the point I'm trying to make. Yep, yep. Fair enough. Okay, so you wanted value for money, do you? Let yes. us then talk about Marco Tullio to Celtic because that is value for money. That's only uh, something like. One and a half million pounds. Hey Neil, I'll have you know that he's the record transfer in A League history. Well, to be fair, yes, that that is true. But and um, I can talk about him because I'm about to after our podcast, I'm going to go film with twenty minute Tim's to talk about him at length. So briefly, I'll say, uh, my God, this guy's great. (laughs) If the he'll be a good barometer for how decent the A League is. If he's even like eighty percent as good as he's been in the A League, like. This this is super player to get excited about. They uh, got like ten goals, ten assists last season. Around that, he's been quite consistent around that ballpark. But man, I don't know how much you've watched of him. I, I know Peter watched. Petrov. Yeah, I bet Peter Petrov on Twitter is getting excited as well. Uh, I yes. think, I think he looks like a young Eden Hazard or like a or like a, a bit like Ryan Cherky. Like he, mm. I say he's quicker than Cherky. Um, and maybe not quite as good close control, but he, he's won like three penalties this season. And it's just because he's running with the ball faint. And like, he looks like he's about to kick it and he, he pulls his leg back out of nowhere. I, I could go on about him all day and I shouldn't because I'm meant to do a podcast about him. <laughs> yeah. I think you should save that for that. But I, the Shaggy comparison is really interesting. I, I really like that because yeah, probably, I mean, close, I mean, Shaggy's close control is like otherworldly, but this guy is, he's, 
I mean, he's nominally a right winger, but he's not really. Like, I think he tends to do a lot better in more central areas. And, yeah, I mean, his, especially what, what I like about him is his sort of spatial awareness, like his positioning, how he receives between the lines. He's really, really good. So I'm quite excited to see how he gets on uh, in in Scotland. And as you say, record transfer for the A-League. There's been a lot of moves uh, from Australia to England this window. So it's, it's great to see that uh, for the A-League as well. Right, next, let's go uh, Hugo Wettlesen to Club Brugge. Have you got anything on that for us? Yeah, he's my favourite player in Norway. Um, <laughs> granted, I don't watch Norway every week. I'm not a complete nerd like you. But uh, I, I, I've always kept up with Bono Glimp. Like last season, or last year, rather, I was keeping up with like nearly every highlights package through um throughout the 22 Norwegian season. He got like 16 goals that year. Um, and that, let's say, how old is he? He's like 23 years old, I think. Yep, I'm so happy he's gone. So happy he's gone to Europe. I think he was linked to Arsenal last year. I. Like, I, I saw someone else say there's a, a few players have moved from Bodo to Europe, like Patrick Bird to Longs, and it's not quite worked out. I think mm. that lesson has the best chance of working out. I'm really excited about this move. Likewise. Should be very good fun. Okay, let's go on now to goalkeepers. We have three. Let's start with Bart Verbruggen, who initially looked like he was going to Burnley, but then Brighton said, we'll have you. And they had more money, I guess. So he's going to Brighton. But what can you tell us about Bart Verbruggen? Again, one of the top goalkeepers up and coming. I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying he was the best goalkeeper in Belgium last season when he was at Anderlecht because he's still prone to mistakes. He's really young for a keeper. Um, sometimes he'd come out for crosses and uh, miss the ball, like misjudge how far and high he could reach. Um but shot stopping wise, I think he's an excellent up and coming keeper. He's also really confident with the ball at his feet. There's a, a point Manchester United were linked with him as well, um, which I, th- I think there was actually quite concrete interest from them. Uh, I'll, I'll let's see how he plays at Brighton. I think he's meant to learn under Jason Steele in goal. It's it's very much a Brighton transfer. It just makes complete sense. Right, and then instead of him, Burnley ended up getting James Trafford. And apparently, you know stuff about an English player. So let's hear it. Oh, yes, because this caps off my trilogy of um, talking about Bolton Wanderers, ah, where James Trafford, James Trafford was on loan. Long right. time listeners to the pod will know I've been a fan of him all season. I'm a da- my dad's a fan. I've, I've been to watch him. Um, and there was a few players for them that were really impressive. Uh, and yeah, Trafford again in goal. I, I remember him pretty being pretty decent with the ball at his feet. Um, like nothing too special, just like it was good. Uh, I think he's had a really good season. I think this jump's really interesting. Like, I don't think he's even played championship football. Um, but, you know, Burnley's recruitment, I think, has been decent the last couple of years. Uh, so they'll have more information than us. But, yeah, it's just nice to see. Like, this uh, Bolton team that we were talking about before, now James Trafford has... One of their alumni has uh, moved to the Premier League. Yep. Not like you'll be watching him, but I guess that's nice. <laughs> I will not be watching him. <laughs> uh, right. Our last keeper then, Georgie uh, Mamadashvili, who certainly just caught me by surprise, is apparently off to Bayern. 
Yeah, Mamadosh Vili, uh, another Georgian in Europe's top five leagues after Kavarat Kavarash Gelia. So commentators are going to have a fun time going forward. Uh, off to Bayern, that would be um, weird because they've got Alexander Nubel coming back. Uh, and Mamadosh Vili. <laughs> Or have they, I guess. Well, they're meant to have him coming back. And they've got Sommer at the club. And I think... Oh, yeah. I uh, forgot about that. Yeah, it's an interesting one as well because... So, saving-wise, I think he's a bit reminiscent of Manuel Neuer. I saw people talk about this today. Like, very good at... uh, Very good shot-stopping. He's played at a terrible Valencia side. um, But he's done his best to kind of keep the clean sheets. Um, And I know he does definitely want to leave the club. Remember reading about that on Get Football... Uh, but is with his feet like um, I've not seen too much of him but from what I've read online it's like that's the area he does need to improve on and that's not typically been well you know what Bayern have looked for when Neuer got injured they got Sommer in because he's fine with the ball at his feet and also a good shot stopper so it's an interesting profiling Um, and at Bayern it's worth remembering as well that uh, Thomas Tuchel's got got more power over transfers than basically any buyer manager in the 21st century. So I wonder if this is a move driven from him, but it doesn't feel like one. Yeah, certainly an interesting one. I completely forgot about Sommer. When you think about that, he's at best third in the pecking order, which is, I mean, I think he could have done better. Is he? I'd say second. You put him over Sommer? Oh, well, oh sorry. Man. I mean, yeah, no, no, going to come Sommer back right, at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. If when Noah comes back, he'll be third, I'd guess, at least for like a couple of seasons. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a odd one. one. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's move on then, uh, very fittingly, to a couple of transfers to Saudi Arabia because they are not looking like they'll be slowing down anytime soon. We had Marcelo Brozovic to Al Nasser, and I think the big one which we have to talk about is uh, Jota to Al Ittihad because. So far, most of the players who've uh, signed for Saudi Arabian clubs have been around 30, usually past 30. Jota, however, is only 24. He's been brilliant for Celtic in the last couple of seasons. And he could 100% do very well in a top 5 European league. He, I am absolutely sure, would have had potential offers uh, from top 5 league clubs. But of course, they would not be able to get anywhere near uh, the wages that he, he'll probably earn at Al Ittihad. So that's, I'd imagine, the primary motivation for him. But for the league, you know, this shows that I mean, they're quite serious about what they're doing because they're attracting not just players approaching the twilight of their careers, but players in their prime and very good players at that. So uh, this is. A potentially ominous transfer, I'd say, and I'm obviously. It's also interesting as well because I think even with some of the big players that have moved to Saudi, even the ones that have been linked, I think they've because Saudi Arabia is a, a Muslim country, right? Um, so I think Karen Benzema spoke about it when he joined. Like that was a, a reason why he moved. That Jota's not even got really that in common. It is a guy like you said who's. 24 years old, could move to top five European league, could play in the Champions League, potentially. Um, taking the bag, going to Saudi. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes. I've seen, I mean, this is absolute complete speculation. No, you know, nothing, no concrete base for this claim. But it's something that I could, in theory, see happening. 
which is obviously we have the AFC Champions League in Asia, which is a very prestigious competition in its own right. But the thing is that UEFA like money and uh, Saudi Arabia have got money. So I would not be too surprised if at some point in the future, uh, Saudi Arabia get an invitational team in the Champions League, potentially when they host a final. Because of course, Alexander Jeffrey has spoken about holding finals outside Europe. So that could be something that happens. I am, as I say, completely based disclaims, absolutely reaching for these, but yes, it's, it's, I, it's, I just feel like it, it's, it, it's a tough one because it absolutely it, like it, so, so someone living, you live in, or you're in India right now and live in Qatar, right? So yeah. you're quite, you're, I mean, Qatar and Saudi Arabia obviously don't get on particularly well, but you're quite close to this. So I'd be interested to see what you think of my perspective as someone who's grown up in London big fan of European football and as much as I don't support a team like I'm a big fan of the heritage of European football I think that's what makes it special and in my mind that's what would convince if I'm a Jota that's what would have convinced me like do do I move to you know a a Ben used to play for Benfica do I move back to a Benfica you know a team that's won the European Cup um regularly completing the Champions League like I will win the trophies that my idols have collected. Like, or can I go to Saudi? Yes, I get the money, but I don't get that that same historical satisfaction. I know Saudi Arabia's got a history in football. Like, that's the thing that would convince me. So it's interesting to see the the amount of players not um like not recognizing that historical significance or just not feeling it. Maybe to Saudi Arabia. I think but like I would still I really strongly push back against anyone who who says like Saudi Arabia is going to be a top five European league because you can collect all of these players, but are they moving there to compete? Like, there's a big difference between a guy moving to AC Milan, like Ruben Loftus Cheek. He's representing a club that, in his lifetime, you know, one of the icons of football. There's a big difference between him and Marcelo Brozovic going to Saudi Arabia. Who, let's be honest, like these some of these footballers are going to be thinking of it as a big payday to not play at their highest level like are they going to be trying as hard and are you going to be able to recruit like there's you know 500 players in the premier league or 500 players first team players in the premier league at least like and most of them well i'd say if not all of them are of a much higher quality than the average saudi footballer Like you're going to need to build a huge depth and build through generations of saudi footballers like they're just so far off becoming a powerhouse in world football. Like I, I find it really hard taking anyone seriously who says they will be like within the next couple of years. I think I think there's a couple of interesting points you raised there. I think first, the first thing I probably mention is this is a fine week when I read a very very good piece on the Guardian by Jonathan Liu with I think titled "What Is a Football Club?" Um, and it's I mean I'll link that below, but. Essentially, I, I absolutely take your point about, you know, history and heritage. And of course, I, as you mentioned, it's, I mean, it's not just in Europe. I mean, Saudi Arabia has its own history. You look at, you know, especially the big four clubs. Um, and also you you look at like their fan bases. It's, it, it's it, they're, they're ones which can absolutely rival any, you know, of the best fan bases in Europe. But even in Europe, you look at these big clubs. And you look at, 
I mean, I think we have to f- first mention that, at least for me, my main sort of gripe with this uh, this rise of uh, the Saudi Pro League is obviously, you know, the sources of wealth and their, their sort of ulterior motives behind promoting football. Obviously, I am all for, you know, leagues or regions or whatever challenging Europe, challenging the top five. I mean, obviously, I'd love to see more leagues popping all over the world. I mean, that's what I do. Um, but you honestly, even if you look at Europe, many of the leagues, I mean, not the leagues as a whole, but loads of the clubs within leagues have, you can say, lost their identity based on like who are they. It's like, I think the big, most recent case is the 777 group where there was an investigation released about their sources of wealth. They're, I think they're based in the US and they have done some very dubious stuff. Um, and they obviously had, obviously, then the other question is the multi-clubs model, which is, again, something that, I mean, doesn't really sit right with me. Uh, and so they have a bunch of these clubs, which they own, a bunch of massive clubs with great history, great heritage. But I, at least for me, it's not the same when they are the owners. And so... I think it's 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 a very it's it's an interesting and difficult debate. But obviously, the point you make that certainly this this initial batch of players going there have money as a major motivation, if not a primary motivation in many cases. But I think that you know that's probably the only way you can you know make a league that I mean not make but like develop a league so quickly to challenge mm. the best ones. Um, how much you can challenge is a different question. But I think it's also important to note because many people have, you know, compared this to the Chinese Super League stuff that happened a few years ago. But I think it's important to, to note the difference in what they're trying to achieve because uh, China's main goal was the promotion of football locally, um, you know, to get their team in the World Cup by 2050 and all, all that sort of stuff. And obviously, I mean, there's a lot of differences, like their sources of wealth were also very different. It was the real estate market, um, majorly among many other things. So not not direct government funding, and obviously COVID and stuff led to the collapse and whatever, whatever. But in Saudi Arabia, I mean, obviously they, I mean, love to promote local football and all that. But their primary motivation initially is to simply, like, develop their league and to get attention. So they are throwing money at these big players not necessarily to get their kids to take up football, which will happen as a byproduct, certainly. But the main reason they're getting these big players is because they want people all over the world to be watching their league. And in that sense, I mean, this is probably the most viable strategy to achieve it. So in that sense, you can see it happening. I mean, you look at all of these players going to Saudi Arabia, it makes it very difficult for people to ignore them and obviously, you know, fans of these players, but even f- like f- just like general football fans like you and me, like when we see someone like Jota going there, you know, you would be like, okay, I want to watch Jota. So I have to watch El Etihad now. So would you, I think this is what I was about to say, it's like a, I don't know, before we get super carried away, I guess, but like, I think the, this, this strategy banks a lot on the idea that the modern fan what follows a player over a club. And I don't know how true it is, but maybe it's far more true than I think. But my personally, I think 
I think is actually quite rare. It, let's even take the main man, Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think there are as many people in the world as we imagine, as online social media would say and tell us, uh, that are actively choosing to watch, say, uh, the club he plays, or Ronaldo, over, say, Real Madrid. It's like, I, yeah. or, 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 like, I don't know, or a Portuguese fan, they're going to watch Sporting over him, even if they've grown up as a huge Ronaldo fan, or a Manchester United fan. Like, and it's the same for Marcelo Brozovic. Like, yes, if if every team, if if every team has filled every position with a player of Marcelo Brozovic's character, and it's got young players coming through, which I think is a huge reason why we watch foreign leagues in the first place, like to, to try and find the next gem. I think, yeah, we're going to see a big boom in audience, but. I think we watch Ronaldo in Saudi in highlights, not in not in TV broadcasting. I think it will do well on social media, but I don't see it actually doing well as like a, a league. And maybe that's the first step. Maybe the first step is conquer social media and not necessarily trick, but you know, lead the path down to people watching games in full. But I, I just think that they're, they're light years away, not years away. Yeah, and I mean, of course, it's not just individual players, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, there's not going to be that many people watching El Etihad just for Jota. But then it's Jota, it's Benzema, it's Conte, it's whoever else they get. So then when you see something like that, you know, you might be tempted. But I, I mean, I have read that a broadcast deal doesn't seem a priority for them at the moment, which is interesting given... Oh, know, I've read, I've read very is... different. I read, oh, I read yeah. that they were... They've hired... Um one of the sports marketing firms to get a broadcast deal done. Oh, well, then it is a priority, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, then, yeah, that makes more sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's something to watch, but yeah, I mean, it's... I, it's... I do think I do think the best comparison for them will be the MLS, because but mm. I, I think, and again, I think we've both been very good and very careful. Like, there, are, there are obviously bigger hu- um, human rights issues in Saudi Arabia, and I think we can have a discussion about them and about the football separately to an extent, because I think there's a big culture online at the moment that feels there's a lot of Western fans that are just looking down on Saudi because, you know, it's a Muslim country and it's it's not a, you know, a white British, white American country. So therefore their money is automatically illegitimate and therefore the money they're spending is automatically wrong. Like I don't, I really don't want to get bogged down in that. And I, I, that's why I don't think a good comparison is the Chinese Super League. I definitely think it's MLS, not just for money to say, but m- more about the fact that I think the, the MLS is what the Chinese, what the Saudi League is becoming, where you're supplementing um, like retiring players with good players like Lorenzo Insignes, uh, uh, like a Sebastian Giovinco's, like players like that who, yeah, probably could play in top five leagues, but have moved there convinced by money. And my argument to that, I mean, Ben and I say an argument because we don't, also we can't go back and forth all day. But my point would be, the MLS isn't one of the, it's one of the fastest growing leagues in the world, but but it might be domestically. There's not many people in Europe, um, which is an area Saudi's probably want to target who are getting up to watch the MLS. Yeah, fair enough. But I, I think the motivations are fairly different as well for MLS and the Saudi League, right? I mean, uh, you know, MLS probably more geared towards, again, developing local football. 
Yeah. And they've, so that's different moti- different motivations, but I'd say like on the pitch, probably hmm. quite similar. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I mean, although to be fair, MLS is becoming a bit of a development league as well in recent yeah, years. Yeah. So I mean, that's potentially a trajectory the Saudi Pro League could take as well. But anyway, enough of that. We could have a whole, a whole episode on that if we wanted. But we've got some more transfers. So let's move on to on the due to launch. Do you want to take that? Or should I talk about oh, the Barcelona midfield? Do you know much about him? I don't know too much about him, I'll be honest. I've, I've watched a, a, a few bits and pieces of him. Quite, quite really liked him. He's a really, really nice central midfielder. He was at Basel this season on loan, I believe, from Rennes. Um, mm-hmm. So he's obviously making that switch into France. And from a, a, a loss perspective, this probably, I imagine, means that Seiko Fofana is headed out. He's been linked to the Saudi league. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be a shame to see him go if he does leave before even making a Champions League debut. But Duf is an interesting replacement. He's only 20 years old. But he, yeah, I, you know, there are a fair few similarities in his game uh, and Fofana's. I think one definite standout is his ball carrying, of course. Fofana loved to drop around on the left side for loss and, you know, pick up the ball deeper and then take it forward. I think Duf certainly can do that. Um, I, he's he's generally played, I think, more sort of defensive midfield role um, for Basel, so... You know, if he does take up the more box-to-box Fofana role, I'd be interested to see how he gets on in the final third. But he's definitely a really, really talented player. I mean, as I said, just 20 years old, but he was a key player really for Basel last season. Uh, And of course, you know, coming through Rennes, they have a a very good academy, as we all know. So he's he's definitely one to watch. And yeah, I mean, it should be interesting to see how he gets on at loss. Right. Uh, let's go on now to Ener Valencia to Internacional. Uh, this is sort of a follow-up uh, from a big transfer that Fenerbahce made. They signed Edin Dzeko and I speculated at the time that uh, Valencia would be leaving and indeed he has. He's off to Brazil uh, with uh, Internacional uh, who are currently somewhere mid-table in the league uh, and uh, are yeah, probably in need of a striker. Uh, they they do have some local players, but no no sort of big name. Uh, and uh, Valencia definitely provides that. Of course, the top scorer in the Turkish Super League last season. And I suppose he'll be looking to get some goals, uh, add some goals other to Internacional, who've only scored 13 in 13 uh, Serie A games this season. So they do need some and they'll hope that he can bring them. Right, that's all we've got for players. Lastly, let's talk about a couple of managers, starting mm-hmm. with a very exciting one, Francisco Farioli to Nice. That's nice. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Oh, you, you very clever. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've kept up a little bit with Farioli. I know he's a big up-and-coming coach, um, sort of school deserve right? I think he's an assistant under him, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, um, a goalkeeper coach at Sassuolo during ah. their time together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Nice, um, their project's taken uh, steps back over the last couple of years uh, under the Ineos ownership. It, it started very well, a lot of investment, but since Patrick Vieira got sacked, uh, Gartier came in, great start, but <laughs> tailed off and the football's really boring. And obviously we're finding out now that off the field, much, 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 much worse. 
Um, started Lucien Favre this season with like a British focus recruitment that went horribly wrong. But like Castro Schmeichel being fine, Aaron Ramsey being who knows, Ross Barkley having his one game in the season where he's good. Uh, and then Didier and Degard came in good, uh, tailed off again. But Nice, they're meant to be uh, a club of sort of young players, um, coming through like the Keflin Tarams. They're meant to have more of them. He's kind of been the, the main guy. And once he goes in FC this summer, like they're gonna have a big rebuild on their hands. So I'll definitely be watching this with um, you know, a keen eye. And I also think Farnport is a really good step for Liga. And like a few years ago, remember when I first started getting into the league, lots of talented players, not many talented managers, all played a four four two, all were very basic. Now the league tactically is extremely diverse. Yeah, I mean I have to say on Farioli, he's one of my favorite managers out there. Um, with Alanya Spur, his his most uh, recent spell towards the end of it, he did some really interesting stuff with goalkeeper change, which is of course something I like a lot. Any listener of I think probably any episode of the podcast will know that. Basically, effectively using his goalkeeper as an extra centre back in possession. So towards the end of his tenure, they basically played like a four two five in possession. So from like a three four three, but obviously the wing backs push up and the keeper uh, joins. The, the back line and that was it was some really interesting stuff um it was basically made them almost unpressable at at times uh so i mean obviously depends what he implements at um at nice what sort of shape and system but i mean you can be sure of watching some very attractive football possession based lovely passing i think the alanya spur fans once uh, brought a banner to training, which was something which said something around the lines of, uh, you know, making our opposition's head spin with our passing. I I completely forgot what it was, but I think that sums up Farioli basically. Like, if 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 you're watching the ball, you'll quickly get dizzy uh, with his teams. So yeah, I'm very excited to see how this goes. But let's 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 drop back to Saudi Arabia quickly because we have a, a very interesting managerial move. I have to say there. Uh, El Ittifaq have finally, after a- at least a month's worth of speculation, I'd like to say, um, signed Steven Gerrard, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very interesting one because I think th- you, what you mentioned about Liga uh, having talented players but not very great managers is possibly what's happening to Saudi Arabia because while they have... No, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, let's be little... fair. I mean, go on, sorry. Yeah, while they have spent a lot of money on players, at the moment, if you look at the list of managers, there aren't that many names that stand out. Gerard, to me, he he had his 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 good spells at Rangers and Aston Villa towards the start, but especially at Aston Villa, really really tailed off. Uh, especially after Michael B left, which people have pointed out is an an interesting point to note. Um and yeah, I'm not entirely sold on him. They obviously there are links to Allegri, which again I wouldn't entirely be sold on. Uh, and so at the moment I think the managerial quality in the league could go up if they are spending so much on players. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, let's be fair. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite a negative take, but I think you know that Saudi. As we said, they've got big ambitions, making the league strong. Um, and they're they're clearly spending a lot of money. 
obviously this is a step back for the game. Um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> no, that's mean. Uh, let's wish him luck. Good luck, Gerard. Enjoy the sun. <laughs> oh god, he will enjoy the sun. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I let me tell. I only wanted to speak to set myself up saying it was a step back for Saudi football, and <laughs> that's all I wanted to say on him. Uh, a bit of a slip up. Well, anyway, <laughs> love it. Right, I think that that's all we've got. The only thing I want to mention from the league fixtures is El Trafico, which is tonight, if you're listening, westward enough. Sounds busy. And tomorrow morning, if you're east enough, that's obviously the Los Angeles Derby, effectively. Uh, LA Galaxy against LFC in the league. Neither side in particularly great form, of course. LA Galaxy having a really poor season, as we've documented. And LAFC quite falling off after that uh, Champions League final defeat. So they've, I think, dropped to, well, seventh in the Supporters' Shield, but only second in the Western Conference, uh, thankfully for them. But they have lost, I think, three of their last five. Uh, and Galaxy haven't won in a while. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation both sides find themselves in. And it should make for an interesting game. Of course, a big rivalry, arguably one of the biggest in MLS. So that's one to watch if you can. And yeah, I think that's about it. Well, I, I last thing I want to mention, uh, of course, we talked about the Women's World Cup coming up. Uh, and we, ha- I mean, Colombia will not be there, but we have some, uh, I mean, it's not exactly news, but I guess some, you know, events breaking to light, which I mean, were pretty well known anyway. But basically, they are having a fairly big crisis with their women's team. It's unfortunately the usual stuff which we've seen all across the board um, of, you know, all... Uh, uh, sort of all sorts of issues in the federation, all the way, unfortunately, from you know sexual harassment to abuse, uh, unpaid, unpaid, you know, salaries and and all that stuff. So it's not a good time for them at all. With what, uh, two three weeks left before the the World Cup gets underway, um, it's 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 not a good look. I think they had a, f- uh, they have a friendly schedule sometime soon but I'm not even sure if that's going to go through so it's yeah it's it's a pretty poor position to be in but I mean sadly they're not even the only ones there of course we have uh, the issues with Haiti Jamaica a couple that uh, you know come to mind first going into this World Cup so well I mean I guess that's the unfortunate reality of uh, football today but we, we hope that things get better and I think that, that that's all we've got for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Alex, who I think was the source of that sound I just heard. Uh, <laughs> My Alexa, <model. laughs> uh, no problem, no problem. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to you, Alex. Uh, we'll be back on Friday to recap a shortened week's action, and of course, look forward to the weekend. And then we'll be back next Monday, back on schedule uh, on on the, on the free feed. So. See you then and take care until then. Goodbye. Bye-bye.